Could you just share real quick, what, what is the realest dream you've ever had? The realest dream, like you, you woke up and like, you, maybe your heart was pounding, you were sweating a little bit, uh, maybe you had to go check on something because it was that real, right? Anybody, anybody ever had that? So go ahead, real quick, with the person next to you, if you can think of a time you had the realest dream you ever remembered. I've shared some of mine with you guys before. I, I don't know if you guys remember or, or not. I remember having a dream one time that, uh, I, I shared this before, but it, it still it was the scariest dream I've ever had. I had a dream that uh, I was in a room full of spiders. And, and when I woke up, I, I remember having this dream. I was kind of half awake, half asleep. You ever had that situation? And I felt this spider crawling up my chest. And, and, and I freak out, and I get scared, and I go to lunge it off. And when I do, I actually... I grab it. It's, 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 it's on me. And so I grab that spider and I start screaming and I start freaking out. And I realize at that point that my arm had fallen asleep. And it was my own hand coming back awake because it was crawling up my chest. And I'm literally laying in bed. Luckily, it was a, I'm laying in bed with holding my own hand, screaming at it like that. Um, it was a scary dream. Okay, it, it freaked me out. When I was younger, we, we had uh, bunk beds growing up, me and my brothers. Uh, shared rooms and stuff, and uh, sometimes, I don't remember if I fell off or, or I just got up and, and walked up, I don't know, but I remember having dreams where uh, I, I felt like I was falling off this cliff, and it was so real, and I'm just falling and falling and falling, and I wake up, and I'm laying on the ground. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what just happened. I think of a friend in Chickasha who uh, his wife uh, had a dream, and my friend here was a, a big golfer. His wife had a dream that he had told her he's leaving her to go pursue a life of playing golf. And she woke up angry, like literally angry, like, how dare you? And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, how would you do that? And she, she, he's like, that was a dream. She goes, I don't care. Like, how could you do that? Like, having to explain for yourself. And if you, some of you laugh because you know you've done it, right? My wife's had some dreams, right? It's something she's like, I just can't believe. I'm like, it was a dream, dear. Like, how many of you would ever wake up, like, would you ever believe that was actually true? Like, would you wake up, like, for me, would I wake up after finding that spider and say, you know what, we're fumigating the house. Like, <laughs> happening today, we're, we're doing that today. We're, or I'm going to invest in a parachute, I'm going to wear it everywhere I go, because that dream was so incredibly real. Or, or for my friend, imagine he, him and his wife now going and getting marriage counseling because of that dream. Like, the marriage is going great, and he's like, she's like, hey, I had this dream that, you know, he left me for golf. And the therapist is like, are you serious? Well, you know, do, do any of us do that? Not many of us, hopefully. Um, if so, we need to talk. Um, but we, we don't have dreams and actually walk away like this is real, like this, this actually happened. I bring that up because in Matthew chapter 1 is a kind of a surreal dream situation Joseph has that actually is real and changes the entire perspective of what's going on. And we've been in this series called Stepdad, and I love the videos that Matt and his team put together and, and the whole theme going on here. And let me just make it straight. I'm not trying to glorify stepfathers and act like it's anything better than anything else. It's trying to bring perspective and understanding what it would have been like for Joseph. Because for Joseph, he's a 14 to 17-year-old guy, a kid, now becoming a man, leading his own household, and this is not his son. And Mary's a 13 to 14-year-old girl, but now becoming a woman. And this is, this is a miraculous situation. Like, what would it have been like for him? I mean, his whole life's in front of him, and suddenly he's in a situation, thrust in a situation, that this is not my kid. 
And I, I come from a blended family, so I understand the challenges and, and joys and frustrations, all the above that come from that. What would it have been like in Jesus' household? What would it have been like for Joseph? It's a whole different understanding. Let's look at it from a different perspective. And so last week, I'll read again just to bring you up to date. Most of us know the narrative story, but I want you to pretend that you, you haven't so you can appreciate it a little bit more. You see, last week we read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. I want to read it again and just stop there. And even though you might know the rest of the story, pretend like this is as much as you know up to this point. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 says this, The birth of Jesus came about this way. You see, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together, I don't need to explain that, I think, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. We talked about last week why Joseph was considered a righteous man for this and understanding the culture and understanding everything about the whole engagement process, how Joseph was trying to do the most loving thing he could do in a relationship. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to it if you like. But imagine you're up at this point. like You don't know any more of the story, what's taking place. You're in Joseph's shoes. What, 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 what is Joseph going to do? But like, here's a second. What would you do if you were in his shoes right here, right now? You're, you're, again, a 14, 17-year-old man about, about to just start your life. You've been working at your craft, learning how to become a carpenter as your family did. You're ready to go and start living your own life, have your own family. And this woman of your dreams comes, and you're about to get married. And right before you're going to get married, she's like, by the way, I'm pregnant. And it's, it's, it's not, I didn't cheat on you. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God that did it. How would you process that? How, how would you handle that? Joseph, in his most wisdom, his most humanly wisdom possible, said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to divorce her quietly and, and not disgrace her publicly. He shows as much love as he can. But then the dream happens, and this is where it gets interesting. And I tell you that whole illustration before because you really have to process for a second how real this dream had to be. I've had some pretty real dreams, but I, I tell you, I didn't fumigate my house after that spider dream. Like, what would it take? So let's read. We're going to read verse 20 through 25. And so after he had decided to divorce her secretly, not disgrace her publicly, verse 20 says, after he had considered these things, after more or less he had made up his mind, he's kind of decided what he's going to do. I'm going to show her love as much possible and, and divorce her quietly and take all the shame upon myself. Since he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, she will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Now when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. An interesting situation. He has this dream, this, this kind of crazy dream. An angel shows up. Now, I don't know what your vision of an angel is. Maybe you got the precious moments porcelain doll in your mind shows up with the big buggy eyes, you know, coming to tell him, hey, you know, floating around. Maybe it's this beautiful angel in a robe, you know, there. If you're thinking of in Scripture with Isaiah with the angels, they're kind of freaky-looking angels with wings on their feet, their head, their arms. they got wings all over them. But a lot of times in Scripture, when an angel shows up, they just look like people. They just look like regular people. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for angel can be translated as messenger or even preacher sometimes. 
And so here it's a messenger from God. It looks like just an average person comes and tells him, says, listen, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. What's interesting to me is that first word he says, because Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. You see, often in Scripture, when an angel showed up, they would be terrified because they would realize they were standing in the presence of something holy, and I should not be here because I'm not. Isaiah, if you remember, he stands before the presence of the Lord and was, he says, woe to me from a man of unclean lips, like, I should not be here. But, but he's not afraid of the angel. That's not what he doesn't say, don't be afraid of me. The question is, what, what, what does that mean? What, what's this whole being afraid? I mean, have you ever been afraid of doing something? Have you ever had something in your heart, in your life that you've dealt with, and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm struggling with this. I'm scared of what's going to happen. I'm scared of moving forth. I'm nervous about what's going to happen after this. If I actually go through with this decision, if I actually do what God's leading me to do, what do I, what do, I do in this situation? You see, the big idea I think you're going to see from Joseph's life and situation is don't be afraid because it's worth it. Don't be afraid because it's worth it. And I'll unpack that. Hopefully it makes more sense. You see, the angel comes and says, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. His wife has been conceived in her. It's from the Holy Spirit. But what is he not to be afraid of? I think there's maybe several things he could be pointing to. Like, what would Joseph be worried about? Maybe he's saying, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. Like, listen, I know this doesn't make any sense to you at all. I know you're sitting, you have your whole life planned out, you have everything situated. This doesn't make sense, but don't be afraid of what you don't understand. You're like, well, what does he not understand? Well, I think it's a pretty clear picture. He has a wife that's supposedly a virgin, and now she's pregnant. Uh, I, I didn't do well in anatomy class, but I know enough to know that's not how it works, okay? Like, it, there's something missing here. And he's saying, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. The question for us is, like, many people struggle with this idea is, well, why the virgin birth? I mean, is God just that uh, fascinated with just keeping purity? Is that what it's about? It's not about her purity. It's not about her virginity. It's about Scripture being fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 tells us, hey, listen, here's a sign that someday God will be with us. You will find a virgin who's burning, who has a child, and this child will be Emmanuel, will be God with us. It's about God fulfilling what he says he's going to do. Some of us don't understand the virgin birth. Like, well, why did he want to go that route? I think understand a little bit about how the fall of man affected us all. You see, when Adam sinned, when Adam messed up in Genesis chapter 3, when he made the mistake, his lineage, his, his inheritance he passed on to us was the sinful nature. We all receive it. See, it's hard to believe when you see a beautiful little baby. Like, Man, that's a cute, innocent, beautiful little baby. When they're, they're born with a sinful nature. We all are. We all are. We've inherited that nature. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul talks about it. He tells them, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin in this way spread to all people, because all sin. In fact, sin in the world was before the law, but sin has not changed to a person's account when there is no law. He says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgressions, he is a type of a coming one. He's like, we, we've, we've all inherited this. And can I tell you something? Like, David understands this. David writes the Psalms in Psalms chapter 51, and he tells this. He says, um, if I can find, oh, he says from verse 5, he says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You see, for God to separate, for, dad, for God to start a new lineage, for a new Adam to come to restore mankind, you have to cut off the seed of man. Like, there has to be someone that has not come from Adam's, Adam's lineage. And so God takes this away and says, listen, I'm going to provide this. I'm going to cut it off so that someone can come and provide a way. It makes sense when you start to understand it like that. 
You even understand Jesus being the God-man, that he's 100% God and 100% man, which for us, it's like, that makes no sense because, again, I didn't do well in math, but 100% plus 100%, that doesn't work. But reality is for that to happen, you have to have God and man come together. There has to be some way of doing it, and how does God do it? God puts it in there and does it. Some of you struggle with that, I don't understand it. I still don't fully grasp that. I can begin to see maybe a picture, but I don't understand it. But listen, we're sometimes called to not be afraid of what we don't understand. Don't, don't be scared of that. Don't let that shake you away. I, I think for Joseph, even here, he's struggling with maybe even the circumstances. You ever had situations like that? You try to be faithful to God and do everything right, and yet things just don't pan out the way you thought? Like, why did God do it this way? Like, why could he have not done it another way? Think about this. Mary doesn't get her storybook wedding that she always dreamed about. And if you think as a young girl in this time and age that she didn't dream and, 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 and practice and imagine her wedding, you're oddly mistaken. She dreams someday of having this beautiful wedding, of being this bride, and all sorts of, suddenly that's all stripped away and it's suddenly tainted and how it should have been. I'm finding this out the hard way. I got a four-year-old girl that I was riding in the car with the other day, and she said, Daddy, I have something to tell you. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? She said, uh, uh, there's a guy in my class I'm going to marry, but he's got to get me a ring first. <laughs> like, we're going to have a long conversation when we get home, okay? I don't know how to do with this. So if you guys have any advice, come talk. My daughters, even at a young age, they're talking about this. Now, we've signed a pact and agreement. She's not going to get married until she's 30. So I'm, I'm misunderstanding what well, she's going back on her word. The, the, her storybook wedding is gone. Like, it's no longer like she's, she's going to be pregnant in this situation. It's not what she imagined. And not only that, like, think about this. The angel comes and shows up to them and tells them, we know she shows up to Mary because Luke tells us that, and Matthew sees an angel. But, but why didn't the angel come to everyone else and say, hey, let you guys know Mary's, Mary's faithful. Like, she hasn't messed up. She's, she's been good. Like, I'm doing something good here. Like, why doesn't he come do that? Think of how much pressure that would have taken off them if God would have just done it this way. I mean, this whole thing ruined their reputation. People would talk about them and rumors about them for the rest of their life, and Joseph would have been brought into the situation forever. As a matter of fact, we have texts outside of scriptures that talk about how Jesus' mother was supposedly a virgin birth, and they make fun of her because she was a harlot. Like, people ridiculed them about this. It's not the way you imagine it to be happen. Eventually, because of Jesus' birth, they're going to have to flee their homeland, and they no longer get to live where they wanted to live. Joseph's dream of being next to his family, being raised around his dad, his parents, that's all stripped away. They have to flee because of this child. Like, it's not the way they expect it to happen. This isn't how I envisioned it. I think, I think in some ways he's saying, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. I think for us, we go through the same situation where we, I don't understand God. Why, I don't understand this situation of Scripture. I'm struggling with this. And God's saying, listen, just don't, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. Now, there's a lot of atheists that try to come and poke holes in Christianity and say, this is what's wrong with Christianity because they call us to live a, a blind faith, an ignorant faith. What you don't understand, what you're ignorant to, just automatically accept. But God never calls us to that. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, which is a, a passage, or sorry, 10, 11, verse 1, is a passage that most people use about faith that says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. I think a lot of people misinterpret that and understand it. It says, now faith is the reality. That word reality it has the connotation of like a title or deed. It's like something that guarantees, something given as a promise saying, listen, faith is like a title or deed, something you hold on to believing that it's going to come true someday. I have faith in this document I'm holding right here that I think it's worth something and I believe it's going to come true. 
The second part says the proof of what is not seen. I love that. It, it, it's, it's kind of, some versions say proof or conviction or assurance. The actual language talks about a convicting evidence. In other words, it's saying you hold on to a title or deed of something you believe is going to come through, and there's enough convicting evidence that what I've seen that I believe it's going to come true. It's evidence like held in the court of law when someone's on trial and they bring all the evidence, but yet you don't have the final product. And you say, based off everything you see, do you have enough to convict to say, this is what happened? And when it comes to faith, God calls us to that kind of faith, a weighed faith that says, you know what? After everything I've seen, after the promises and guarantees he said, and he's come through time and time again, my faith is going to continue to trust. Don't be afraid of what you don't understand. I don't think it's just what he doesn't understand, but I think it also is maybe who he thinks he is. I shared week one how Joseph was just a carpenter. He was just a tecton. He was just a nobody. I think Joseph is saying, man, I, I can't. <laughs> He's a 14 to 17-year-old kid. You, you want me to raise them? Like, I can't do this. Notice what he calls him when he meets him. He says, listen. He says, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Well, why is he calling him son of David? We can go back in verse 15 or 16 of chapter 1 and see that his dad's not David. His dad's Jacob. That's his dad. In this time and culture, they would not have called you by your great, 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 great grandfather. It would have been by your immediate father. He'd say, hey, <coughs> Joseph, son of Jacob. He says, Joseph, son of David. Why does he come in and call him that? Why does he address him in that? Why does he identify him like that? It, it reminds him of his messianic lineage. It reminds him of who he came from. I think Joseph lives a life saying, man, I, I'm not, like, I can't do, like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't do this. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest. I'm not this. And God's saying, no, you are somebody. You might be saying, I'm a nobody. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever enough. And God's saying, no, you are somebody because you have this in you. Like, this, this has been promised. This is in your family. This is in your blood. This is in your DNA. You can do this. How many of us struggle with that in our life? I just, I, I can't. God, like, I don't, I don't have faith like this person. I don't have the knowledge like this person. I don't have whatever like this person. And God says, you, you are because I can't. You can trust me. I think he's struggling. I think there's a little cues what's going on here. Maybe it's because he doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe because he doesn't understand who he is or what he's capable of. Or maybe, maybe in the big thing, maybe it's because he's saying, don't be afraid of the sacrifice it will take. Maybe he realizes right here, right now, like, listen, this is more than I can take. This is more than I can bear. I can't do this. It's costing me too much. Can I tell you something? Listen, following God, following God will cost you your best made plans. Joseph had in his mind how this is all going to go. Listen, I love her. I'm going to show her the must love possible. I'm going I'm to privately divorce her to, sh to take all the shame upon myself. I have it all written together, and God shows up and says, no, it's going to be a different way. Sometimes we lay out our life. Like, listen, following God will cost you your best-made dreams and even desires. Maybe you had the dream of going and living this and doing all this right here, and God, I want to go live next to my family. I want to have this perfect marriage and everything go perfect, and now you've changed things up a little bit on me. It, it, it costs you your best-made desires. I think we often skip over and don't understand the value of verse 25. It says he takes her as his wife. He's taken her. They are legally, in every way, shape, and form, married. And everything, every right he should have as a husband. And what does it say he does? He did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Listen, this is a 14 to 17-year-old man right here. Boy, I'm not going to go into any more. Listen, I can tell you what he wants to do. And he's saying, I'm putting this aside. I got married as 19 years old, Okay. I was excited to marry my wife, but I was excited to get to the honeymoon. I, I'm just being honest. 
He, this is a huge sacrifice. And you guys laugh at this and make fun of this, but I'm telling you right now, we got people right now, nowadays, that can't even wait till marriage, and they can't even hold off, and they can't do anything. How many of us really want to sacrifice? It's going to cost me a little bit more money. Man, I really, I really want to do this other thing right here. Well, you mean I got to wait till I'm married? Man, it really looks good right now. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your convenience. Following God is going to cost you your convenience. Okay, can I tell you something? Listen, serving Jesus is rarely convenient. Don't, don't mistake, like suddenly I'm going to sign up to be a Christian and start following God and my life is just going to be so much more convenient. Listen, it's very rarely convenient. Do you suddenly go, man, this is so much easier. It's a challenge, it's a burden, it's a walk, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I love J.D. Greer talks about this very thing. He says in one of his sermons, he says, many of you, talking about his church, he says, many of you don't volunteer at this church because it's not convenient. You might say something like, well, I worked hard all week and I got kids, so I can't serve, I can't do this. J.D. says, yeah, I look forward to hearing you explain to Mary in heaven when you go to her and say, listen, my church had the audacity to ask me to help take care of my own kids once a month. Like, like, how dare they? And Mary's like, yeah, I had to bear a son for nine months who wasn't even mine and eventually had to flee a country because of him. But do tell me your story, oh, great man of faith. We have people that struggle with wanting to serve in church and come to it because it's an inconvenience because it's going to take my time or I'm going to miss what I want. Listen, it's not about convenience. Every great thing that you'll ever be called to by God will require some sort of risk and some sort of cost. It's going to be inconvenience. And I think the angels come and say, listen, don't, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid of what you don't understand. Don't be afraid of who you, you don't think you are. Don't be afraid of the sacrifice it will take. And so the question we come to is, then why do it? Like, why do it then? If it's going to, if it's, man, you just, you just mounted up a big old hill that I have to come over, then why do it? Well, the answer is this, is because it's worth it. Plain and simple, it's worth it. What, what, what you get in return, what God is going to do is so much worse, better, because it's worth it. God's gift is greater than any sacrifice we can ever make. I love what he tells him, says, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because why? Because what has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. It says, he will save his people from his sins. Later on, it tells us, you will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Like, that, it's weird at first. You read, like, well, he's got two different names. He's awfully confused, right? Walking around, hey, uh, you know, Emmanuel, no, no, Jesus. I mean, I mean you, uh, whoever. You got to understand, this time and culture, names defined a person. Names defined who you were. You have Jacob in the Old Testament. His name was Jacob. You know what Jacob means? Usurper. It means swindler. It means thief. And what happens with him? He lives up to his name and reputation and steals his, his birthrights from his brother. Your, your name defines you. And so, if, in other words, back in this time and culture, when they saw you and they saw Jacob, they say, hey, there's Swindler. Hey, Swindler, come here. Whoop, come on, right here, Swindler. <clears throat> they defined who you are. I, I think it's interesting as I look at us, I even looked at our staff. Matt, I don't know if you knew this, but your name is actually from English origins. The, the meaning is gift of God. There you go, man, I like that one. <laughs> Ian, I don't know about you, but your, your name is actually has Scottish origins. It means God is gracious. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Don't get too full of yourself. Eric, my, mine, mine is Scandinavian. I, okay? Um, the meaning is honorable ruler. My, the, no amen for that? Okay. Um, <laughs> mark that off my list. Harris, I love Harris. You know what Harris means? Harris meaning is son of Harry. 
I don't know. What to, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. We, we don't do that nowadays. Like, like even though I could agree with it, I don't come say, "Hey, gift of God, how are you doing?" Like, I don't. That might go to his head a little bit. I don't know. Like, we, that's not in our time and culture with us. But in this time, your name defines you. His name is Jesus. What, what is it saying? He's telling a lot. Like, listen, this is Jesus. This is Yahweh saves. It, through, through this child, God is going to save mankind. Not just that, they're, they're also call him Emmanuel. You know what that means? That means God with us. It means God's presence will literally be on earth. They dreamed about this day. God's gift is greater than any sacrifice we can ever make. I'm giving up so much. Yeah, but your gift, you know what? You get salvation and you get God. You get the presence of God. He's there with you wherever you go. It's worth it. You know why it's worth it? Because God's promises always come through. I love verse 23 through 23. He unpacks a whole prophecy. He says, listen, they talked about this some thousands of years ago with Isaiah. As Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and says, listen, ask for a sign, any sign you want to prove that God will come through on his promise. Ahaz tries to sound righteous and says, no, I don't want to test God. He had some other things in the work that he was trying to do. It was kind of shady, in case you're wondering. And so he says, listen, here's the sign you'll know. And he gives this prophecy of something that Ahaz would never see, but it was a gift of the promise that God would come through. He says, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's how you know God's promises will come through. You will see this come through. Think for a second real quick. Think of the most trustworthy person you've ever dealt with in your life. A person you say, listen, if there's a person you could count on, you could trust, their word is good as gold, who would that be in your life? Think about that for a second. The most trustworthy, if I went and asked them, right, like, I, I know, I know they're good as gold. And let's be honest, if we spent enough time with them, if we're going to be really honest with ourselves, we really dug down and asked and we looked, there's probably at some point, even as good as they are, at some point they've let us down. At some point, they've made a mistake, and they might be a good person and say, you know what, I messed up, please forgive me. I, I didn't exactly come through. Would you please forgive me on this? Can I tell you something? God always comes through on his promise. He's never that guy that says, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll make it better next time. My bad, please forgive me. God never has to say that. I love Joshua when he gets to the end of his escapades and comes to the promised land and conquers everything. Listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. You don't have to turn there, and I'll read it for you. He gets in and he says, listen, none of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. He gets to the end. He gets to the promises come through. He's like, listen, everything God said he was going to do, can I tell you something? He did it. He came through. God, God won't let us down. Don't, don't be afraid because it's worth it. Don't, don't be afraid of what you think you might be struggling with right now, you're calling, maybe some of you guys are feeling called to something, maybe, maybe I don't know what it is in your life, you're sitting here saying, listen, I don't think I can, or I don't know if I can, or I don't know if I want to. And God said, and said listen, don't, don't be afraid, because it's worth it. I know some of you, God's calling you to something, and you're like, man, I, me and my wife, we've been, or me and my husband, we've been tiptoeing around this thing for a long time, and feel like maybe we should, but we just, we're scared to pull the trigger, we're scared to do this, we're scared to jump off the edge and say, and then we'll wholly put ourselves out there. And God's saying, listen, don't be afraid. Maybe you're struggling, you're going through a difficult time right now in your life, and you're like, I don't know if I can see the other side, because it's sure pretty dark where I'm at right now. God's saying, listen, don't be afraid. It's worth it. I I'm here with you. I'm present. I've sent my son who will save you, and I am with you. For me, recently, can I tell you, for me, recently, it's just even coming to this position. I'm not looking for any uh, encouragement or anything, but this was the hardest thing for me to come and come and be a pastor. I'm sitting here telling them, I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm 33 years old. I know that. I'm young. I'm still a kid in my own right, and I make excuses, and I act dumb sometimes. 
And I tell myself, listen, I'm not, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I'm capable. There's no, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm scared of what's going to cost me. I'm scared of this. And God's saying, Eric, don't be afraid because it's, it's worth it. Eric, I'm calling you to this. It's okay. And that's what faith is. I think Joseph's story reminds us and tells us that, listen, don't be afraid because it's worth it. And I love Joseph because what does he do? You don't see him waking up and spend a week resting him out and dreaming about it. What does he do? He wakes up, he goes and takes his wife, he marries her, and he names him Jesus. He starts from right there. I love what one man said, Mr. Uh, preacher named Adam Hamilton. Listen to this. He said, God's plan for redemption of the world depended on one man's willingness to raise a child who is not his own. You ever think about that? God's, God's plan for redemption of the world depended on one man's willingness to raise a child who is not his own. Because he said, I'm not going to be afraid. What is God calling you to? Some of you, I said right now, when I was talking about that, I struck a note in your heart. It hurt, didn't it? What I said rung a bell in your heart. You're like, man, God's been slapping me in the face. Maybe you've been laying at night, God, I just need a sign. Can I tell you something? Here's your sign, okay? Maybe that's what you've been doing. Maybe you've been struggling today. It's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Can I tell you something? Listen, God's trying to speak to you right now. The question is, will you wake up from your dream and take that leap of faith like Joseph said, listen, I'm going to do it. We've been talking about doing this for a while. We've been talking about this leap of faith. We've been talking about this sacrifice. I'm going to do it. If God's stirring your heart and that's you, can I, can I encourage you? Listen, here in a second, we're going to have a time of invitation. Come up and let someone pray for you. Our elders are going to be here. We... we Get excited about the opportunity to pray for you guys. Come up and let us pray for you. For some of you, when I say that, your, your biggest leap of fear is just putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been playing the church game. You've been coming here off and on. You've been, been toying around with, with Christianity and act like it's some sort of game to play with. Listen, it's time to jump off and say, listen, God, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't fully get it all, but I, but I want this. And you need to come forward and receive this gift of salvation, this child that, that, Christ gave, that God gave us. And so if that's you here in a second, when I, when I give an opportunity, listen, come up. I won't, we won't force you in a decision. But we want to walk you through a process. We'll walk you through what you might need to do. And so with that, Ved, with your eyes uh, closed and your head bowed, I'm going to give you just a second to reflect. The elders are going to be up here, up front. Don't hesitate. Come up. sitting there praying with your head bowed and your eyes closed if God's stirred in your heart listen be faithful like Joseph don't wait until a week don't wait till after the new year you get up right now and you come talk to one of these men so if I'm speaking to you right now feel free get up don't be scared of what people think you need someone to pray for you you need someone to hold you accountable listen I need to take this leap get up right now come on up know you need to receive the gift of salvation listen don't don't wait if you're a church member I don't know what more you could be praying for right now than someone to come to receive Christ I'll give you guys about 30 more seconds if God's leading you I'm going to ask you to come up don't hesitate
sit and reflect. As I'm talking, if God leads you and you were just too scared to get up, listen, come on up. Don't be shy. At the end of the service, if they're doing an offering, if you feel like you need to get up, you get up and go talk to them. Don't, don't, don't let anything distract you from that. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I, I encourage you and challenge you. When you get in the car and you start driving home, you begin to try to process what in the world was Eric talking about or whatever it is you want to talk about. I, I encourage and challenge you to say, hey, what, what, was, what was on your heart? Ask your spouse that. Ask your kids that. Ask, ask whoever's in the car with you. Hey, what, what was that thing? What, what, what Was there anything that came in your heart that you felt like you needed to do? Encourage them. Pray for them. Guide them. Let, we need to be people of faith that take leaps. Would you pray with me? Father God, Thank you so much for who you are. I think you want to teach us something. I think you want to teach me something. I think you want to continue to grow me. I know for a fact there's people in this room who have been fearful of taking leaps on stuff. <laughs> they talked about feeling led to something, but they're just they're not sure about finances. They're not sure about family situation. They're not sure about uh, time situation, whatever it is, God. I pray you convict them and push them to push forward and say, you know what? It's time. Don't be afraid. For people who I know are struggling right now in this room, God, I pray you encourage them. You are, you are present. Your gift is, is you are with us. You've brought salvation. And even though we might hurt right now in this world, God, encourage them. Please encourage them to know that you will conquer and you will provide victory. So, God, I pray they'd look for your presence. I pray they'd find confidence and say, you know what, I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to stress about what I'm going through right now simply because I know it's worth it. I know that God's good. God, I thank you so much for sending a baby to save us. Thank you so much for a faith of a young man named Joseph and a young woman named Mary. God, teach us to be as faithful as they are. In Jesus' name I pray.